0: So people of God, listen then for the word of God. Here is what I want you to
1: do. God helping you.
2: Take your everyday ordinary life.
1: Your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life.
2: And place it before God as an offering.
0: Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him.
2: Don't become well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking
0: instead fix your attention on god
2: you'll be changed from
1: the
0: inside out readily recognize what he wants from you
1: and quickly respond to it
0: unlike the culture around you
1: always dragging you down to its level of immaturity
0: god brings out the best in you god develops well-formed maturity in you. I'm speaking to you
2: out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me.
1: And especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. Living then, as every one of you does,
2: in pure grace,
0: it's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God.
1: No, God brings it all to you.
0: The
2: only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us.
0: Not by what we are or what we do for him.
2: In this way, we are like the various parts of a human body.
0: Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole.
1: Not the other way
0: around. The body we're talking about is
2: Christ's body of chosen
0: people. And each of us finds our meaning, our function, as part of his body.
1: But as a chopped off finger or a cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we?
0: So, since
2: we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body,
0: let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be.
1: Without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other.
2: Or trying to be something we aren't.
0: So if you preach.
2: Just preach God's message. Nothing else.
0: If you help. Just help.
1: Don't take over.
0: If you teach. Stick to your teaching. If you give encouraging guidance.
1: Be careful you don't get bossy.
0: If you're put in charge.
1: Don't manipulate.
0: If you're called to give aid to people in distress,
2: keep your eyes open
0: and be quick to respond. If you work with the disadvantaged,
1: don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by them.
2: Keep a smile on your face.
0: Love from the center of who you are.
1: Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil.
2: And hold on for dear life to good.
0: Be good friends who love
2: deeply. And practice playing second fiddle.
1: Don't burn out.
2: Keep yourselves fueled and
0: aflame. Be alert servants of the master.
2: Cheerfully expectant.
1: Don't quit in hard times.
0: Pray all the harder. Help needy
2: Christians.
0: And be inventive in hospitality.
1: Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath.
2: Laugh with your happy friends
0: when they're happy. Share tears with them when they're down. Get along with each other.
1: Don't be stuck up.
0: Make friends with nobodies.
1: Don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back.
2: Discover beauty in everyone.
0: And if you have got it in you, get along with everybody.
1: Don't insist on getting even.
0: That's not for you to do.
2: I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it.
0: Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Because your generosity will surprise him with goodness.
1: Don't let evil get the best of you.
2: Get the best of
0: evil by doing good. This is the word of the Lord. are more familiar with the language of this passage of Romans 12, with the language of sacrifice, which is something that Eugene Peterson, the pastor who did the message, he shied away from. So we're more familiar with Romans 12 verse 1 in what we have before us in our Bibles, which is, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The language of suffering is tricky. One big reason is that the imagery of sacrifice behind Paul's language here is pretty foreign to us. We aren't scandalized by the tension of a living sacrifice. Because our imaginations don't really have anything to draw from in this, which is one of the reasons why Eugene Peterson goes for the language of offering in his translation. We get that a little bit more, but we also lose something in that. Because Paul's original readers, they saw sacrifice all around them, and not in kind of the overly spiritualized way that we talk about it in church. They just saw dead carcasses. When, when they heard a living sacrifice, they, they understood the oxymoron going on in that phrase. Sacrifice was dead-dead. Not just dead, it was dead-dead. Because an animal first had its blood drained from its body, and then the body was hacked up into pieces, and then each blood-drained piece was put on an altar and arranged to be burned. So. Sacrifice is dead dead. It is not only blood drained and hacked up and cut up into pieces and then burned. There's, there's no living to this whatsoever. But, but we don't really kind of, our imaginations aren't filled with this bloody aspect of sacrifice. I mean, who among us has actually seen a, a, a butcher in the back kind of hacking away at, at a, a body and giving us those nice beautiful slabs of meat that go on our plate as pork chops or juicy steaks? We see the appetizing piece of that. We don't see the bloody reality behind it. So the language of a living sacrifice is kind of meh for us. There's no blood and guts to it, to be quite literal. And the language of sacrifice can be tricky for another reason, too. One of the gifts and privileges of being a pastor, is seeing the -the behind-the-scenes work of our life together as community CRC. Day in and day out, week in and week out, I witness the work that goes on to sustain and lead ministries and programs, to teach our kids, challenge our adults, to care for each other, to meet needs, to cook meals, to clean up messes, both real physical ones, but also real emotional and relational ones. I witness the heavy lifting of elders in their communities, of deacons in their labor to discern and to meet the needs of those both in our body and outside of it. I see the way a particular person volunteers in probably a few too many ways. Or how that one elder was here four nights last week in meetings. Or the high schooler who's always picking up a Sunday school class in someone's absence because they just love to be with their kids so much so that they actually haven't been in worship in a while. Or I see one of the older women here, a wise sister in the Lord, who's the go-to person for so many And I see her buckle under the weight of carrying so much with so many. Or that family that writes yet another check when they see that the budget's not quite being met, even when they still have bills at home. This congregation is full of hard-working and busy servants. Serving and serving and serving and serving and serving more. Offering bodies and time and energy and creativity and effort. And here in Romans 12, we encounter a zippy list of churchy to-dos. Love from the center of who you are. Help those in need. Practice hospitality. Bless your enemies. Feed the hungry. Teach. Preach. Encourage. Give generously and serve. All of these are a tangible way, tangible ways that Paul fleshes out his one big idea here in Romans 12. I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. But to stand here this morning and exhort you to do more seems exhausting. And maybe, maybe even a little bit harmful. As if you've just run a marathon and you've collapsed at the finishing line and I'm your coach and I come up alongside you and slap you on the back and say, okay, good job, let's do it again. Let's get going, what are you doing? Why are you on the floor? The language of sacrifice is a tricky thing. Especially when we are a doing kind of church, which is most definitely the kind of church we are here at community Christian Reformed Church. So being told to just love more, help more, serve more, do more, give more, that can easily push us right in to burnout to compassion fatigue, to the point where we collapse and wonder, is this enough? Is this sacrifice holy enough? Is this pleasing enough to God? If you have experienced burnout before, you know that the only thing you get out of this doing more and more and more and more is fatigue, resentment, an annoyance that, as you see it, no one else is working as hard as you are, doing as much as you, because if they were, well, then maybe you wouldn't have to work as hard as you do. And that is not a kind way to view our brothers and sisters. So is that really what Paul is urging us to in this portion of scripture? Another churchy to-do list to add on the ways in which we already serve, already give, already love. Is this really what God expects of us as our true and proper worship? To be living sacrifices. Just burnt out and a, and a little done. But there is something else going on in Romans 12. Look at, verse, look at the first verse. At Paul's one big idea here that frames and shapes and everything else in this chapter hangs on. Look at verse 1. He urges us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Bodies is plural. Is living sacrifice plural? It's singular. One. Offer your bodies, multiple bodies, one sacrifice. Paul is contrasting two different images of sacrifice here. One is an altar of blood-drained individual pieces all arrayed out separate from one another. A traditional sacrifice, a dead sacrifice. And then he's arguing for the single living sacrifice of all the pieces and parts held together in a single whole, a single living sacrifice. Where you expect death, Paul points us to life. And where you expect pieces, he points us to wholeness. So the picture here in Romans 12 is not a bunch of individuals sacrificing their bodies and time and energy and creativity until they burn out. It is a picture of one body made up of many parts. Many bodies living and working together as one in a way that is both whole and holy and pleasing to God, which is why Paul launches into his favorite way of understanding the church, the body of Christ. For just as each one of us has a body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body. And each member belongs to the others. So Romans 12, this portion of scripture, at first appears as a laundry to-do list, a laundry list of churchy to-dos, a checklist of stuff we have to do and it reveals itself instead as the ways in which, the ways of living together that knit us, many bodies, into one living sacrifice. One body held together by love and compassion and mercy and hospitality and kindness not held together by busyness and productivity and doing. We're in a series about doing things. This morning, instead of calling you to do more, to serve more, to further sacrifice, to use your gifts even more. I invite you to remember the ways that you have received love and compassion and mercy in this body of believers. Recall ways that you have been blessed, that you have been served by your sisters and brothers in this little corner of God's body. Reflect not on what you have done or are doing, what you have produced, or what you have done, but on what you have received, on what you have been given by the gifts and the love and the labor of the people around you. Because in a culture of doers, and to-do lists, of busyness and burnout, we can slip into thinking that we alone are doing it all. And the only fruit of that way of thinking is resentment and exhaustion and loneliness. And that is simply not true. Thinking that we alone are doing it all keeps us focused on our one little part. In our list of sacrifices and achievements Rather than this big, beautiful, living sacrifice to which we all belong, of which we are all a part. And this is why Paul gives a word of caution in this passage, too, in this vision of who we are as the church. In verse 3, And and I love the way that Peterson gives life to this this portion. This is how he translates verse 3 in chapter 12. Living then, as every one of you does, in pure grace, it's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, (laughs) God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is, by what he has done, not by what we are or what we have done. Brothers and sisters, not one of us did anything to deserve a place in this body. Not one of us did anything to deserve the gift of God's love, mercy, or grace. Not even a bit of our busyness. Not even a portion of our productivity. Not our doing. Nothing. So this morning, as you were invited to this table, this table, you come to this table this morning not because of anything you have done. You come to this table because Jesus has already given and made the sacrifice needed for you to come. There is no level of burnout or exhaustion or fatigue or anything that you do in the work of the church that grants you a special place at this table. You come because Jesus invites you. And he invites you not because you are the most hardworking, not because you've achieved something, but simply because he loves you because he loves you, that's it. So come to this table. Come to this table. Those of you who have checked off everything on your churchy to-do list, and those of you who have not. Those of you who are burned out and exhausted. Those of you who think you have it all together, Maybe you do. But also come to this table, those of you who know you don't. All we have to do is receive this gift of body and sacrifice with grateful hearts, with open hands. Because these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please pray with me. Our God of grace, we come before you this morning grateful for the gifts of this table, For the body and blood and sacrifice of Jesus, our Savior. We come before you, needing you. Needing you. Not because we deserve any of this, but because you have open arms to us. Because you love us. Because we need you. Remind us that we are a part of a greater whole. That not one of us carries this beautiful body of Christ. That we receive our place in it as a gift. As a sign of love and mercy. Thank you. That we are welcomed. And that we belong. Not because we deserve it. Not because we've done enough, but because your son has done enough. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.